Podcast. All right, all right. I am here. Mitchell is here again. Back by popular demand. So I actually, good. I ran a poll. Want to be back? I ran a poll the other day on the Twitter, and they said that the you Twitter. were the guest that they wanted back the most. The, the co-host with the most. With the most to boast mm. and to roast. Ah, good one. And today we are talking about methamphetamine. Are we? No. Oh. Um, today we're, we're talking about an interesting subject, and it's actually touchy and maybe a little bit bleak, but at the same time could provide insight into mm. your very own life going forward. Am I wrong? Well, yeah. No, you're not wrong. This this could be this could be an interesting topic of conversation. I'm, I'm looking forward to it in, in sort of a... I'm also hesitant to jump into it because you could lose your job. I don't think I sure (laughs) hope that's not going to happen. I don't know how that can happen, but it's a good conversation about faith and and culture and and how those things can intersect and how it gets complicated sometimes. Before we get into that, you wanted to talk about Coca-Cola? Yeah, so... I figure we got to do some food. We got to do something food-wise. I mean, that's kind of our little bit, I think. I, I don't know that you've done food with other people yet, so maybe it's just... It's, I have it's never a done... Thing. I will never betray you, Mitchell. I appreciate that. All right, so, listeners, I've been uh, trying to lose some weight recently. Steven can, you know... He's looking good. I'm looking so good. Anyway, part of my addiction to food... Actually, my only real addiction is addiction to Coca-Cola. That's like a major problem of mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I've been trying... Well, for about a month, I just eliminated soda... Actually, anything other than water for it ended up being about five weeks, and it was great, except for the fact that I, you know, hated not getting to drink the kind of things I wanted to drink. But it was good for me, of course, and and so I've I've kind of I had a ten pound weight goal, and then I was going to reintroduce Coke into my system and into my lifestyle, but with within moderation, certainly compared to the way it used to be. So I had stumbled across this Coca Cola Life, and you may have seen it in a green Coke can, a green presentation. Uh, yeah. Um, it's not a Diet Coke. It's not a Coke Zero. It's a different thing. Coca-Cola Life. Look it up. Uh, they got in cans and bottles. But the thing is, instead of using aspartame or, or saccharin or, or some other kind of like diet sweetener, um, they use cane sugar and – well, what's it called? Stevia. Stevia, which apparently is a natural – fake sweetener. I'm not really sure how that works. Anyway, so the whole thing is that it's not supposed to taste like a diet drink. So I've been trying that out. Occasionally I'll mix it with regular Coke like I have in my Yeti cup right now. Like one can of life, one can of regular. Um, and here's my review of it. It is in no way, shape, or form diet Coke or Coke Zero. It tastes much more like regular Coke than either of those two things. However, it's not as sweet as Coca-Cola Original, but it's not too bad. In fact, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try to keep drinking this for a while because it saves about 50 calories per every can of Coke. So it's like a less sweet Coca-Cola. But here's my argument, Mitchell. If you're mixing it with a regular Coke, what's the point? I still saved 50 calories compared to what it would have been if I had just drank two regular cans. So get off my back, bro. But let's say you're wanting to quit. I don't want to quit. <laughs> I never said that. <laughs> Okay, plant. I just want to drink less soda, less Coca Cola because it rots your teeth and your heart and maybe your soul. And your lungs. I'm pretty sure it makes my soul happier, so it doesn't do anything. Aspartame. Aspartame is an artificial sweetener in Diet Coke and Just Diet? I don't know. Other things. It's gross. Well, I think if you were consuming this thing, 
regularly, you want to figure out what's in your Coke. Well, regular Coke doesn't have aspartame. It has high fructose corn syrup. Which is like a sugary sludge. <laughs> but it's so good. Have you ever looked up why, like how Cokes are made? No, I don't want to. People say that you'll never eat something after you figure out why it's made. That's not true for me. That is not true at all. I've seen, I haven't. Well, I've seen a chicken slaughtered, and I love chicken. I'm actually grilling probably, chicken tonight. Probably made you want to eat it more. That's right. It just yeah, gave me so much satisfaction it. of just watching that thing with uh, the head cut off running around mm, the room. All right. Well, that's my a good segue. My grandma used to talk about how at her farm growing up, you know, this is back in the what the thirties or something. Um, you know, they would raise chickens and other animals, and then they would have to slaughter them in order to eat them. And she said the only time that she, I think her siblings maybe were a different story, but the only time she ever got spanked, or maybe it was, you know, with the belt or whatever, by her dad, was when she refused to wring the chicken's neck. It was the only time she was ever asked to do it. She refused. She just Weak. couldn't do it. Beta and move. so her dad spanked her and didn't make her do it, and she never, ever had to kill a chicken or get spanked by her dad ever again. Beta move. Beta move. <laughs> by her part. Alpha by the dad. That's true. But she said she just couldn't bring herself to do it. Ring that little chicken's neck. Ring that little chicken. Ring that chicken. All right. Well, that's a good segue. Thank oh, you, yeah. Mitchell, that's for that. That's a good start. So, Solid approve start. or disapprove of Coke Life? I'm a... Uh, I mean, I'm clearly... I'm, I'm going to finish the 12-pack that I bought. But... Because <laughs> why waste money, right? I don't know. I think if it was available on a, on a tap, like at a fountain machine... I, I might get it or mix it with regular Coke. And to me, that defeats a purpose, but... It still I saves you calories. Yeah, technically, but... No, actually, yes. Okay, that's actually, the whole, theori- that's the theoretically... That's doing this. Simultaneously. What? Let's move on. And you didn't have... Okay, so here, here was the vision for today. So, I've been watching, and I don't know if you have been... Actually, I know you haven't because we've discussed this, but for the listeners out there... There's this show right now on Paramount Network, so I'm going to do a plug here. Thank you, Paramount, um, called Waco. Are you getting paid for that ad? Of course. Sweet. Um, Waco. So a town in Texas. Town in Texas. Actually got in really big trouble two years ago because Baylor, Baylor, yeah, all college. that sexual assault stuff. So Ooh, okay. Don't want to live in Waco. Well, Waco, I don't think, was necessarily... Well, if you have two tragedies in one city in 20 years, I think that correlates... People still live there, though. Unfortunately. But then you can go and look at the Gaines, you know, with their, whatever their name of their, um, like, Fixing Up Houses show. That has made Waco incredibly popular. So thank you, Chip and Joanna Gaines. But don't be surprised if they're you making a Waco, find tragedy They're making quickly. Waco great again. Now, to your point. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so there's a show, and I, I have never dive, dove, divin, deepen div, into div. this. Div, deepen into this. In the Waco tragedy that was in the, you said 1992, 1993? I think it was 93. We have the Wikipedia on. 93. So between February and April, 93. So so this, so this Waco, for all the listeners, it, first of all, it's a phenomenal show. If you're not watching it, it, you need to watch it. It's Wednesday nights at 10 or 11. I can't remember on Paramount Network. If you're not on Paramount Network, I encourage you to figure out how to watch this in more ways than not. I'm talking illegally or illegally. Can you say that on the podcast? Yeah, like, I can. You know, encourage... I can do whatever behavior. I want. So Waco, for all the listeners, the, the, the whole premise behind it was you have this group called the Branch Davidians, 
and they're living there, and they they follow this guy named David Koresh. They don't follow the Davidians. Doesn't sound doesn't stand for David, right? Not David Koresh. Correct. It's it's a reference to they they originally had split it off. I think of the Seventh Day Adventists, but mm-hmm. like a branch of a branch. So there was this group that was called like something regarding shepherding, and uh, it was in reference to King David or David the Shepherd. And when this one branched off of them, which is hence the name Branch, branch. Davidians. <laughs> Um, the Davidian comes from like David the king, David mm-hmm. the shepherd. And so they, they were in this compound that David Koresh, who is the, the lead guy, the main guy in charge, built basically for these people. And this was a following of about, I would say, 100 to 120 people, I believe. It was the total number once this all went down in the early 90s. And so David Koresh was this man, and he grew up poor. And and one night he had this this vision, uh, this 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 spiritual, um, I don't even know what the word is for it, altercation, revelation revelation with with God. And um, this is what his claims are. And he believes that the the Lord, I guess, entered him uh, spiritually and and he became God, basically. Like his whole, his whole, his mantra was that he is Jesus Christ reincarnated into a man. And so, he he knew the Bible very well. I mean, they say you memorize the entire Bible, and in the recordings that they have of him with the FBI, he would quote the Bible very well. So he was very he was eloquently spoken, mm. and he was very good at speaking, which is the same thing I just said. Charismatic leader, huh? very charismatic, knew his Bible, and he was very convincing because he had a following of like a hundred people, and these yeah. people were from everywhere. You know, there was a guy from Hawaii there who was a big doctor. There was a professor from Florida. Mm. All these different, all these different people. And so the but there was there were some things going on where they looked different. Of course they they made their own clothes. They they all hung out together. All they did was um just basically have Bible studies. They would have Bible studies all night long. Like they would la- they would start in the afternoon at sundown and then they would go until the morning usually. Cuz these huge Bible studies where David would be quote unquote prophesying to them and things like that. The how they made their money, they would you know, sell their their things that they would make, or they would they they played music, so they would go play at bars and stuff like that. And then David would encounter with people, and um, so so basically, the the main gist of it is um, the FBI and the ATF were under huge firestorms at that point because of the way they handled previous altercations with guns and cultish groups, cultish groups, things like that, hostage situations. So Waco for them was this point to get on the good side again <laughs> with the right. public, right? Yeah. And so because because the Branch Davidians were illegally buying and selling weapons so on this it side, was alleged. Well, <laughs> which we, we now know was totally legit. Right, right. That was the accusation that got right. the ATF involved in the first place. Right, they were accumulating and and even modifying mm-hmm. into illegal function. Weaponry, yes, like non-automatic assault rifles that they were converting to automatic assault rifles, which is illegal. Which is yes, listeners, don't do that. Right. Yeah. And so, and so, also oh, there were many other things as well. There was there was uh, accusations of he was sexually abusing the kids that yeah. they were there. There was uh, accusations that were actually confirmed that he was taking on underage wives, mm-hmm. wives that were fourteen, thirteen years old, and having children with them, which. Is illegal, and for that matter, who had already been pledged to other men. That's right. The, so, so a lot of these, yeah, and, and he believed this, and he would have these visions like, um, there would be no, there, you have to abstain from sexual, you know, relations relations with your wife, or but then David would take that 
burden or mantle per se because to really alleviate their sins and take it on from him which mm. if you're listening right now it sounds pretty sketchy for the man but anyway <laughs> so there's a lot of things problems that, but basically the atf and the fbi um kind of just ran in there on false hope um thinking that there was you know it was going to be some easy siege and they were going to get all these guns and there'd be a good photo op with the kids walking out and stuff like that but it was interesting because these Branch Davidians, when the FBI came and they shot, they killed people. So the ATF people died. Some Waco people, not Waco, some Branch Davidians died. In the initial. In the raid. initial siege. Yeah. And it, there was a huge debate who well, fired, raid, who shot. Which led to the siege. Right, right, right. Thank you for that. And, you know, it was a debate of who shot first, all this other stuff. But initially the siege, I think, was what, 54 days? Uh, it was in the 50s. I think it was maybe 51. I feel like I read that somewhere. Yeah, so that's a crazy amount of days, people. And so the, the point of it was these these FBI agents and these ATF agents were just like fumbled with ideas because of all their techniques and their, their, their skills and all that that they used. It didn't work because these Branch Davidians were rallying around David thinking mm-hmm. that he was the Messiah. Yeah. And at what point do you say like – well, I mean, this is just going to end up in them dying because there was already that big mass suicide a couple years back of the Jones, yeah. Jones, Jim, Jim Jonestown or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember exactly what that was called, but I, I think, think the was, Jonestown massacre yeah. is what it's referred to. Or it was like hundreds of people. It was a, yeah, a huge number who had committed a, a ritual mass suicide thinking that they were going to be instantly, essentially elevated to, to heaven, to, to salvation. And they poisoned themselves. Right. And so that was a big issue was these these religious cultists are just going to do a mass suicide and all the kids are going to die, things like that. Um, so, you know, it, it got me thinking. And the siege ended in 54 days. And basically some people came out. Um, but a lot of them, I think it was in the 50s, died. There were 76, 76. people that died. Yeah, so 76 people died, including Koresh, because he basically killed himself. I think he was somebody shot him in the head. One of the Branch Davidians did, or, or it's weird stuff. But I've I've there's a lot of unconfirmed yeah. rumors. It's it's a really it's really interesting, and you know I, the 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 series hasn't ended yet. The last episode's this coming Wednesday, so I'm excited for that. But it's what like a six part six part series okay. that it's been going on. Um, and I have just for the listeners' sake, I have not seen the mini series. I've mm-hmm. just read up on the story and I'm kind of familiar with the details. Yeah, and so. Um, what what we had here was we we had a group of people that thought that this man was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ, and there's been copycats along those lines mm-hmm. all the time and things like that. But th- this kind of got me thinking about this this culture versus the church, and I think it's something that I haven't been thinking about in my young Christian life. I don't know about you, Mitchell, but it it's this thing where I, I keep thinking about I'm saying I'm saying. Well, yeah, that looks weird. You know, it looks weird that they're just living together and they're making their own clothes and they're they're just doing Bible studies all the time and they're not mm-hmm. lying on the outside force and it looks weird. And it's just a weird situation. I'm not saying that we're for <laughs> marrying multiple wives and taking yeah. on underage children as wives and having kids with them. But at the same time, have we become, and I'll, I'll throw this to you, have we become too saturated with the culture? Because this is something that I've been – I think this has been put on my heart recently with the stories of people like Lot who was – lived in – I don't know if it was modern Sodom. And so he was – he lived there so long and he just kind of got saturated with the culture. Yeah. And then he, he kind of lost it at the end, you know, with his daughter's 
yeah. doing things with him that he shouldn't have been doing with his daughters. That's messed up. And it's a huge, like, tragedy story. But then I think about this, I'm saying, like, well, is that us today? Like, have we become so much alike that we're no different than the culture around us? Mm-hmm. And so whenever there's a, you're saying whenever there's a group, and of course this is kind of an extreme version, but whenever there's a group that is looking differently and acting mm-hmm. differently, that even we... You know the Christian, the mainstream Christian community looks at them and says, "Well, weirdos." Right. It's a good question. Um, I mean, certainly when you look at the biblical example, and particularly in in Acts, and and then just kind of knowing some of the early history of the church, there was a distinction mm-hmm. between the Christians and and the the secular or even the religious world, but just the the non Christian religious world around them. They just looked and acted differently. Um, now, I would say that one of their biggest characterizations was their love and their communal nature, uh, which is great. I mean, I think anybody would say that those kind of things are good. But, you know, they were, they were known for taking care of each other. They were known for supporting one another financially. Um, I've actually seen uh, – so I've read some things that talk about how it was almost like a voluntary – like a voluntary single-payer – Healthcare system back mm. in the that that's obviously modernizing it too much, but but essentially, if somebody had needs, whether they were medical or financial, the community of believers would just sort of all voluntarily pitch in to support the person. So I, I can just imagine, like today, how that might look would be if if somebody within your faith community got cancer, um, they wouldn't even necessarily need healthcare. If the community did what it used to do, which was everybody pays for the support of that person. And that that sounds pretty cool. We definitely don't do that. There are some interesting things, though. I mean, you may have ever heard commercials for uh, – there, there's a, a group called MediShare. And it's a, it's a, it's a faith-based medical insurance sharing group. I'm not quite sure how it all works. But I know that their, their basic idea is they're sort of an insurance agency – and everybody who contributes to it, you're basically sharing one another's burdens. So if you have a medical need, um, MediShare, which is voluntary, pays for your expenses. And then, um, you know, if you if somebody else has one, then kind of whatever you contribute to it would pay for them and stuff. So it's sort of like trying to recapture that idea right. of the faith community supporting its own. Um, so there's, a, you know, every now and then a rare, a rare exception uh, to the mainstream, which is we just kind of all do our own thing. And and I think in a lot of ways we have become homogenous with the culture around us. You know, we, we by and large look the same, do the same. Um, and so whenever there is a group out there, we just can't help but think, no, oh, those guys are kind of weird. And sometimes they are. Like sometimes, obviously there are some really extreme <laughs> aspects to what the branch of videos were doing um, that, that I don't think any, any sane Christian, I hate to say that, but um, would be able to condone. But some of what they were doing was probably great. You know, they were emphasizing community and emphasizing Bible study. There were a lot of other things, as I've said multiple times now, that, that are not appropriate. But but the overall idea of living in community and sharing with one another, that's good. And, and it's kind of hard to say from a biblical perspective that that's wrong. So where can we recapture some of those ideas and not and – not, bring in a lot of really weird, bad theological ideas at the same time. Yeah. And I'm not saying we take in multiple wives like they did in the olden days because I think that 
I don't think that would work. Well, I hope you're not saying that. <laughs> it's, it's actually let, illegal. Let the record show. <laughs> let the record show. Um, but, you know, it, it just got me thinking because of my life. And I, I think this is a huge struggle. And especially, I think it's uh, one of the biggest struggles right now with with podcasts and with, with the phones and with technology and the internet and so many things. We kind of just lose sight of who we are because we start chasing these things. And I remember when my when – my, I've told this story before, before I left for college. I'm in college right now. But y'all should know that because all of our listeners basically know who I am. You're a real cool guy. Side note, 24 subscribers in a three-month span. <laughs> We're growing like fire. <laughs> so if any sponsor uh, potentially is listening to this. And if there are any listeners that are not related to Steven, <laughs> thank you. We very appreciate and value your time. <laughs> But anyway, so so my grandma would say before I left for college because I was is, talking is about. Is she a subscriber? Of course not. Okay. She's anti podcast. She was one of the. She was one of the twenty four. She's anti podcast. But she said to me, she said, Stephen, don't forget why you're going there. And I think I think that yeah. has been on my because I would always think about you know the hiking and the fun stuff in Chattanooga. I wouldn't think about the actual school, which I still don't. But who wants to? Exactly, not me. But you know, it just got me thinking like. And of course, I took it the wrong way than what she was wanting me to think. But like, why, why, why are we here? And I think we get so lost in, you know, going to college, getting a degree, raising a family, and trying to get them financially sound, and then trying to, you know, live out all your, you know, satisfaction that you want, whether it be like a nice car or like a boat, or just you know, a fun, uh, a video game, things like that. It's it's so hard. And I think I've noticed this in my life where I've kind of took a step back recently and saying. Man, I I am not doing what we should I should be doing because I've gotten so into especially me being a political science major, politics yeah. and getting so saturated in all the daily news. I think this is a, a tool used by Satan to where he's pulling us into this thing and getting us so distracted from God to a point that we don't really think about God anymore in our day to day lives. And I'm not saying I don't do that. But I think that's true for many people. And you have the college rate of Christians going into college Half of them don't aren't Christians by the time they get out, yeah. and so I don't know. I, I'm not asking a question, but what what are your thoughts on that? Because you know, you being the more experienced and uh, expertise in the ministry field than I am, indeed. Have, I mean, have you seen that, or have you noticed that, or what? Well, let me back up and kind of come around this, I guess, from a different angle. But I mean, you just said something a minute ago that that I think has been said many times in the last several decades, which is which is the idea that one of Satan's greatest tools is, or one of his greatest accomplishments is not in converting people to, you know, Satanism, if you will. <laughs> it's just from distracting us from following God. Like if, if he can do that, then he's one. He doesn't have to make us follow him. He just has to get us distracted from following God. And he's one. I mean, that, that's how it works. Um, and I think that that is a real, a real... I don't know. Yeah, ish, thank you. Thank you. It's a real issue in our culture, especially, which is a highly distractible culture. Um, you know, there are influences all around us. Like that. That was on a cue. My dog was funny, funny. This is the downside to the home field disadvantage. <laughs> you gotta. No, I, think, I, I think someone's delivering a package outside the room. <laughs> that was on cue. It was, it was indeed. But Producer, I mean, edit that out. Yeah, edit that. <laughs> Scratch this. Buddy. 
calm, <laughs> calm, brother. Hey, sit down. That's right. That's Buddy, right, boy. Lay down. That's right, boy. You can edit that. Right? I don't know, but we're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, distractions. Okay. So, you know, I I think of like the teams that I've worked with for the last, well, in total, you know, the last ten years or so, and and just people I know, and how. You know, when I think about if we're going to jump in the van, for instance, to go on a youth trip or something, um, what are they going to want to listen to on the radio? This is not a criticism of youth. It's just I think it's symbolic of our nature. What are we most likely going to want to listen to in the car? Pop is it going to be, you know, the latest Zoe Group album? Which is phenomenal, by which, the way. Yeah. Or is it going to be, you know, Jay-Z, Usher, pop Beyonce. Yeah, whatever, whatever it is. Well, of course, it's going to be contemporary Christian or contemporary cultural music, and and I'm not necessarily saying that's bad, but I do think that we have become, as as a group, we've just become so wrapped up in the normal cultural stuff, and not all of it's bad, but we've just been so wrapped up in it that if you're going to kind of put those things aside, then even the Christians would be like. Why are you? I mean, what's wrong with the regular music on the radio? Why are you like saying that that's no good anymore? And and why are you, you don't have cable? Yeah. What? What's wrong with you? Let me say this. So that kind of reminds me of the story of Samuel that we've been uh, at our church. We've kind of been studying is, you know, at the time of Samuel and, and kind of the beginning of Saul. And for all you non-Bible people out there, so Saul was king over. Israel? Can we say Israel? Or Yeah, it was a joint kingdom of Yeah, And so Samuel was a prophet. And so before Saul was king, Israel didn't have a king. Mm-hmm. And so all these Israelites were looking around, all these other different groups and nations saying that they have a king. Well, then they start looking and they say, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. And Samuel clearly says, eh, careful what you ask for. Yeah, yeah, careful what you ask for. And I think that's so true because... You know, we can be so saturated and, and focused on other cultures and other people that we can kind of lose sight of who we're called to be as, as Christians. And, you know, I think that's true. Like if we're so if if we start worshiping people like Beyonce and people like Jay-Z and people even like Peyton Manning, you know, if we if we start looking Whoa. at these figures, I know you may have gone. We, we lost a couple of listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a Tennessee fan. So. But if we start looking up to these people rather than looking up to God, we kind of we kind of turn our back on God in a way to a point where we're relying on people like Beyonce and, and other people for, for, for our knowledge. I think that's an amen in, in dog. But, yeah, I think so too. But it's, it's kind of like if, if we're more wondering what Beyonce's opinion is on an issue rather than what's God's opinion in which I'm not saying that God like, says his opinion, but there's some clear stuff in the Bible and some, yeah. and some hot button issues in this country. And, and I think sometimes we, we don't want to offend. We'd rather offend God than we would offend culture. And we'd mm-hmm. rather offend God than offend, you know, the people around us here and now, for example, there's some churches and, I, and this is on, this is on YouTube. If you want to look this up, there's a church pastor in, in New York that thinks abortion is like fine. And I, and you know, we can open up that whole debate too, but in mm-hmm. my opinion, you're, you're, I think you're killing someone, and I don't know. We just we've handled this to a point where we're trying not to offend the people around us, but I think we've kind of lost sight on on not and trying to offend God basically. Yeah. Oh, it, this it's a difficult subject because you know we 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 do live in a society that that 
certainly believes in some things that I think any Christian can believe in. I, mean, I was watching a TV commercial just not too long ago, and the whole commercial was about standing united. And you may—I don't know if this was a Super Bowl commercial or not—but it was all these different little scenes of people kind of like singing this song about "Stand by Me" and all this. And, and I was like, you know, that's a message that I think we could probably agree with. Any Christian could. Like, we need to stand together and then support one another. So it's not like in our American culture everything is anti. Um, you know, Christian faith right. factors, but but there is a lot that is. I mean, it, it, it's no secret that we're a we're a pretty consumeristic minded country. Like at the end of the day, in a lot of ways, it's sort of all about us and our needs. And and maybe you can broaden that to like it's all about my family and what my family needs. And that sounds a little bit more um, positive. But still, it's like what can we get? What can I get? And I definitely think we have seen that in churches in at least the last several decades. You know that. In church talk, church talk, we'll talk about like the consumer model and, and how we're trying to avoid that and stuff. But it's so easy to do it because that's the world we live in. Like everything is marketed to you, like to get the newest this and to get the thing that matches you the best. And um, and like messages, like even on the internet, right? Whenever you're just searching around or whatever, uh, any ad that pops up nowadays is probably going to be, you know, matched to you mm -hmm. and your search history and your purchases. And certainly on Google, like they. It's an information world, so they're just gathering everything they can about you to sell you something particular. On my computer, looking at the same internet page, I might have a totally different ad on my on my side column than you would because it's trying to get me. It's trying to attract me versus you. You'd have something different. So it's like everything is just me, 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 you, 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 and we just bring that into church sometimes. And we expect that if the church isn't meeting my needs exactly as I expect them to, then it's just not working for me. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's one of the biggest ways that we can sort of combat this is to, is to try to develop in ourselves a mindset of it's, it's not about me. It's about kingdom business. And kingdom business is other people business. And just honoring God business. And I don't mean business in the business way, but just like that's what we're about. But that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do in a culture where it really we are usually focused on our own personal needs. And it's a hard thing to combat. I mean, it's easy to drag it into church. You know, when you talk about like 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 your your needs and, and going back to one of the stories of the Branch Davidians in Waco was that they were willing to like give up their children and not follow them out to like so some of the children were allowed to go out. But the parents stayed there, and some of the children died in that. And, of course, like I said, we're not condoning this at all. We're just trying to tell them the story. But they were willing, you know, and, and be weird when I say this, they were kind of putting God over their kids. And, and like, to a point where they would, they would kill their kids for God. And it kind of reminds me of the story of, of Abraham hmm. when he takes Isaac up there. Yeah. That's a, that's another one of those kind of complicated questions, stories. Like, what was really going on in that story? Um, you know, it, it's often told in the sense that Abraham was was willing to go and kill his kid, and then other parts of the Bible kind of make seem to indicate that maybe Abraham had a, had a newer and different understanding of of what God is about than all the other gods around the world, which often did expect you to sacrifice your own kid. Like in Hebrews, it talks about that Abraham understood by faith that. God could have resurrected Isaac. It's like almost like he was trying to show his power off. And, and maybe it's just the way that it's written, but it almost seems like Abraham's not surprised 
when mm-hmm. his hand is is stayed <laughs> from the execution because he tells Isaac that God's going to provide the sacrifice. Isaac's like, where's where's the animal? And Abraham <laughs> tells him, well, God's going to provide the sacrifice, which could just be his way of not having to say, by the way, son, it's you. <laughs> but maybe he, he knew, okay, God's trying to show me something here, and I need to go through these steps. But at some point, he's going to show us a new way of connecting with him that that all these other false gods because they're false haven't shown to man that may be really obscure way of saying that i don't remember what your original point was my, oh, my, his willingness to do yes like like yeah. are we willing to do something that that the culture is going to say well that's weird like that's not right you shouldn't do that that's wrong and i don't know i you know I, and and it's hard because so, so many things now the culture the culture has has kind of adopted some of our Christian principles in yeah. somewhat of a way sure and so there ha there has because based on our constitution our our entire you know our entire government was essentially well, yeah, based I on mean, the Ten Commandments justice concepts right. of justice and things like that um, and and certainly like you can you can bash ideas like welfare system but at their heart you know that's that's a positive thing. The whole mm. point is, as a community of people, let's take care of people that are in need. So that in and of itself is not a, not a bad idea. But, um, you know, my understanding is that the United States, at least, is a, is a fairly charitable country. I, I think we certainly have more charities than any other place in the world. So even, even while we're saying things like it's a me, me, me culture, there are so many different there ways that people giving. have said – Let's give back. And so, I mean, you can find thousands and thousands of means of, of giving money to support other people. And that's, a, that's wonderful. And that, that should be celebrated um, in, in all ways. Um, so, like you're saying, I think we have definitely seen how our culture has adopted some really wonderful ideas. But... Not all of them. Not, certainly not all of them. And, I th- and that's the hard thing is like they, they have adopted some of the principles of the church and of the teachings of Jesus... But but at the same time they're they're doing the complete opposite of things like like it's okay to to sleep with whoever you want and it's okay to to go like get, get plastered drunk all the time and it's okay to go party and 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 be about me 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 and not be about the the matters of other people and it's okay to acquire as much wealth as you can and to build up your own your own stakes in the game and it, to me it's just so hard to like like how where's the line like how do we know when to say this is going to lead me into a, a path where at, at the end of the path it's separation from God, which I think it, it, it's a bunch of series of events that lead to that path. It's not just one choice that you make. It's yeah. going to lead you down a path. But how do we realize that? I don't know, man. Um, you know, while you were just saying that, it, it occurred to me that one of the ways that I don't think culture reflects the Christian belief system is in the idea of personal accountability. Now, maybe that just depends on how you define it, but um, certainly in the way that <clears throat> the scriptures seem to point to you know, personal morality and things like that, our culture does, does not necessarily um, put, to, put into practice a lot of those things. Like, like what you were saying with sexual purity and um, issues of drunkenness all, all, and greed, all those kind of things, those are not necessarily qualities that our culture, broadly speaking, honors, at least not in the way that a Christian, normal Christian person would probably say they should. So that's one of those things. So whenever it comes to like to to your own behavior, I think that's where there's a big discrepancy between our culture around us and and what 
the Bible seems to be trying to teach us to live. Um, and th- I think that's, that's often where people that do want to say, I'm going to go ahead and, and abstain until marriage out of honor and respect to God. That's one of those ways where our culture is just like, that is so weird. And Why stupid. Would you, and, yeah, it's a waste of time and it's a waste of fun. Um, but that's another thing where even even within our, our Christian communities, that's becoming less and less common. You know, I know that that's a value that you're holding to, mm-hmm. Stephen, um, and, and that I, I held to uh, when I was, you know, dating my soon-to-be wife. But, <laughs> but that is less and less common. And it's not that it's, you know, there's just all these, like, kids out there running around making bad choices. It's like they just it's, – it's not as much of a concern anymore. Right. It's like, what? I don't want really to get the big point of that. Right. And so I think that's one way that we have certainly been negatively, by we I mean the Christian community, negatively impacted by cultural standards that I don't think you can you can get from the Bible. I think the Bible teaches the opposite of that. And there's a lot of other examples like that where even within the church communities, you know, we're sort of trending one way and it seems to be in opposition to biblical teaching. Mm-hmm. And if you were to follow biblical teaching in those things, you would look increasingly more weird. Right. Even to other Christians, potentially. And, and that's the thing I was going back to is we, we've gotten to a point, um, and, and not like a, a majority point, but it's just this this thing is forming in the church, in my opinion, that slowly we're, we're worrying about the people around us, kind of like the Israelites were worrying about the nations around us and trying to emulate them rather than looking to God and looking for him to answer. And I don't know, it's just for, for my little to two, two to three years working part-time in youth ministry and stuff like that with you and with, with uh, Sean White. Hello. I don't know. It's just, it just seems like with kids, especially these days, it, it's just so easy for them to just get sidetracked and get, get off put. And I don't know, it's just, it kind of, it, it's warning to me when when I read stories like Samuel and and even and even then when, well let me see, like just 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 seeing those signs and and seeing that we're kind of going through that same phase now where we're kind of just being, we're we're getting dragged under with the culture and mm-hmm. you know I I really do think that with all these all these bad things that are happening, I don't know I I feel like we're just we're separating so far from God. Would you agree with that, Mitchell, or would you disagree? Well, just as a society or mm-hmm. as a Christian as a community. So- as a society, but I think the society has definitely, but just as I think the Christian community is slowly, slowly being pulled in. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's minuscule now is what I'm saying. It's it's very small. Like it's minute. I just I see a seed that is possibly being planted right now <laughs> yeah and to a point where there we can either water that seed and we can entertain that in the church or we can you know pick it up and throw it away and throw it out i think generally speaking i would i would agree with what you said that um our culture is certainly trending farther and farther away from traditional christian values and things like that um you know we were we were never a Depending on how you define it, we were never a a Christian nation in the sense of like ruled by mm-hmm. the church or anything like that. I mean, it's always been set up as a secular thing, but it was certainly based on the values of Christianity and, and Judaism and stuff like that. And I think that we are we have obviously moved away from a lot of those things. Maybe not some of the core principles, but certainly some of the practices. Um, 
that would define a, a traditional, you know, Christian worldview, I guess. Um, and, and I think, you know, maybe the churches, if you compare, you know, churches now, and I realize there's a huge array of different mm-hmm. types of churches, but if you just compared them all, some had averaged out compared with all of the churches averaged out in, what, 1775, um, they would they would have changed, of course. And a lot of that is probably due to the cultural influences around. And in some ways, maybe they've gotten better, but in some ways they have changed. And, you know, somebody from back then would be thinking, what have y'all done with the faith? <laughs> um, and I, I think it's I think it's just going to get harder and harder and harder for the Christian communities in America, at least. Um, I think as our as our society continues to develop and as you know, people's the way that they view things. Uh, we're, we don't have to get into this right now, but I, I think <laughs> the biggest issue that the churches are going to need to deal with in the next several years is going to be the the issue of same-sex attraction and the LGBTQ and insert other letters um, <laughs> matters. I mean, we're already seeing that. And right. a lot of churches are either adapting or, or uh, putting up walls against. But I think that's going to be maybe the biggest thing, if, if you're going to call it a conflict, that the church is going to have conflict with culture over the mm. next is and and will continue to over the next few years. So I think it's just going to get harder to be a Christian in America, which honestly could be the greatest thing for us right now. Oh, amen. Um, and, and to explain what I mean by that to anybody who's listening, the, historically, the church is, has actually flourished under oppression. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that, although I think it is accurate, I don't know if it means it has numerically grown the most while being oppressed. It, it may be that. But I know that just the spiritual fervor of the people involved in the faith during those times of oppression, every indication seems to be that it has been strongest when they are being oppressed. We'll, we'll look at China. I mean, are they not the number example. one? I think they're the fastest if they're not like somewhere in Africa, like the African churches are. So you've got two places that are predominantly either atheistic or Islamic or some other religion. Um, anyway, the communities are actively in opposition to the development of Christian communities, and they're just exploding. I mean, it's unbelievable. There, are, I've definitely seen stats that there are far more Christians in China than there are people. I want to make sure I'm not lying when I say Just this. lie. Well, I was going to say then there are people in the United States. That may not be true. But I think I've seen that there are more Christians in China than there are Christians in the United States. It's, it's something absurd like that. Of course, mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's over a billion people in China, so the overall numbers are different. But the, the pace of growth in China, which is a, a communist atheist country officially, mm-hmm. and the pace of, of Christian growth in, in areas of Africa where they are also oppressed, I mean – it's just it's just doing well, and I well, think it grows better when it's under fire. Oh yeah, I mean I, I think persecution is vital to the Christian faith, and that's one of the problems with American Christianity is we don't get exposed to that because because we, we are just we're we're cushy we're cushy Christians. Well, and, and who wants it? Yeah, like, it's so easy for me to say you know what maybe a little persecution would be good for us, <laughs> but I don't want to go. I don't want to be persecuted. Come on. Yeah, and you you look at James one. And it's talking about like consider it pure joy yeah, to he, face James, persecution. James is crazy. He's it's one of my favorite books. Crazy person. <laughs> it's my favorite book. But I mean, just, I mean, the whole and, and that's what I also want to get to. Like we have this culture where it, it's it's feel good. It's feel comfortable with yourself. It's it's make others around you feel comfortable with yourself. It's you know do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you comfortable. Do everything for you and what your needs are. 
for feeling. But in the Bible, I think in many stories in the Bible, it's it's do this for God and persecute, get persecuted for the not not get persecuted, but but you will be yeah, endure this persecution for God and for the other people out there that are also enduring that persecution because that kind of builds a community factor, and that just makes you I guess turn to God more in those tough times. And it's 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 no it's no it's no what am I looking for? It's no shocker that. Whenever Christians feel persecuted, they pray to God. But at the same time, I, I don't know. I sh- I think persecution is so vital to the Christian faith, and that that's one of the biggest issues I think is in the American churches. We become comfortable. Yeah. In America. Oh, well, there's. I mean, absolutely. There's a culture of comfort in our society, and there's there's a culture of comfort in our churches. Um, you know, often people that are involved in like, church leadership will talk about the complacency of. Of their congregation or the apathy of the people who just want to sit there and, and be preached to tithe and then leave. do anything or maybe not even tithe you know <laughs> um and i'm not getting into that right now but just the idea that you know if if there was a fire lit in their butts would that would that a shake some people awake and including me like i'm preaching to myself there like maybe i need to be shaken awake mm-hmm. a bit and would it also kind of winnow out the people that they really don't care. They just are expected to go to church, so they do. Um, so it's kind of like it, it'd be like a trial by fire almost. It, it would. Oh, what's the old analogy of like you'd be purified by the flames? Kind of like it would. It would remove well, it's the like, impurities it's like, from you personally, but yeah. also it would it would sort of burn away the chaff and then expose. Uh, I don't know all the fakers. I, I hate to make it sound like that's what I'm going for, but well, let's look at a positive sense. Like for like a piece of silver when you're mm. when you're. You know, uh, har- I don't know, harvesting or, or forming or more. I don't know what it is, but like when you're making like a silver sword or whatever, you put that that metal in the fire and it burns it and it and you know crafts it and shapes it and molds it. But that when you bring it out and you bu- brush it off and buff it and things like that, it's a beautiful sword, right? And so you know you're going to be in the fire, but sometimes you, you realize that, and if you realize this when you're in that fire, theoretic or metamor meta. Metaphorically? Yeah, metaphorically. <laughs> when, you're, when, you're, when you're going to that persecution, if you realize in your head and you go back to that James passage that, you know, whenever you get out of this and if you can persevere through this, you're going to be an even purer, you're going to be an even experienced, more more mature Christian. I don't know. I should, that That's missing is what I'm saying. I think you're right. I, and I'm not trying to say that we need to kick all those fakers out of church. <laughs> I'm just saying I, I think we need – we need to be tested more than we are. And I'm not even saying that like our preachers aren't doing a good job. I mean, we've almost made it too easy. Mm-hmm. And there's one thing that I remember reading in an old Dietrich Bonhoeffer book. And I think it was The Cost of Discipleship is the is the book that I'm referencing, but don't quote me on that. He talks about this this notion of of um, of cheap grace versus costly grace. And, and he sort of acknowledges that, you know, grace is is technically a free gift given to us. We don't we don't earn it. But but we place value on it based on how we live our lives. So if we say Jesus saved me, and oh by the way, I'm not going to do anything you told me to do. Mm-hmm. We have cheapened grace to the point that at some point I think Bonhoeffer was trying to say you don't even really have it because mm-hmm. you just scoff at it. Versus Jesus saved me and I'm going to do everything I can to live up to your standards. Mm-hmm. Not so that you will give me the grace. It's already been gifted, but so that I can honor you 
by living according to your will. And and I think that we do struggle with that in our culture is just give me give me the grace, God, yeah. you know, save me. I'm going to go and do my thing now. When I explain grace, I think of it kind of like a two-way street. You know, like you're you're going to this place and you're getting this thing but you don't just park. You don't just park there. You know, you turn around. And you go the opposite. You go back into wherever you were, and you give that grace out. So it's not just one way. It's it's two ways. It's give and take. You know, you that's you, certainly true. You take the grace from God, and you give it to other people. Kind of like the angled mirror theory. Have you ever heard of that? No. So the angled mirror theory is basically you are the mirror to to the people that are unchurched, quote unquote. I'm doing my quotes. Yeah. So so God is is at the top here. You're the angled mirror in the middle, and then and then the unchurched, the non-believers are here at the bottom. And I wish we in were, darkness. In darkness, and so right, and so <laughs> so they can't see the light directly, but if you can angle you your mirror, you. you're going to reflect that. And so that's why I think about grace is it's not just I'm going to give it and give it all to myself. It's I'm going to get get it, and I'm going to give it to everyone I know because yeah. it's a pure holy thing. Sure, I, that's a that's a great illustration. Um, you know, if you think about the whole idea, uh, repentance is absolutely a gospel concept, right? That's one of the things that, that we're called to is, is repent and, and, and be baptized and seek after God. But repentance, by its very definition, means a turning away from. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't think the intent of that is for the five seconds it takes you to get saved. I think the idea is you need to make your lifestyle a lifestyle of repentance. So, you know, if you've got a, a characteristic sin in your life, whatever it is, um, or just like your collection of sins, repentance means doing everything in your power, dedicating yourself to rejecting that old way of living and pursuing a new way. And it's a lifelong thing. And and that's what can look weird to people. Going back to our initial idea of, of culture, um, it's kind of normal in our culture to like get saved and and be good, but if you're going to actively live in a in this this spirit of turning away from and then turning towards God, that's where you can you can look kind of weird because people are like, "What's the big deal?" You know, I believe. Why do I? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I can go. Yeah, not do this and and do this and I don't know. I, I think I think there's going to be a greater d- division between people that are actively living repentant lives. And those that aren't, and it's going to be a real testing time over the next, you know, many years, millennia, the next thousand years. <laughs> let me say this, and then we can wrap it up, and I'll let you uh, finish mm-hmm. with it. Yeah, when I was baptized, Jim Hinkle, thank you. Shout out, shout out. Um, he he kind of told me, he, kinda, he told me a lot of things, but that that night he kind of said, well, you know, the baptism isn't the end of your journey; it's yeah. kind of the beginning, and so, you got you need to look at your life as in a year from now. Is your faith going to be totally transformed and different than it was when you got baptized? And if it's not, well, there's some issues there because you know baptism like, well, what is a start with yourself, right? <laughs> it's back to your repentance. It's a turning around. It's a totally doing the opposite of what you were doing. And I don't know. I think that's the that's also a big problem is that we only we just get comfortable. We get comfortable with this fact that we're saved and we're okay. And no, we're called to be more than that. I mean, we're like we did a or you did a fall retreat. That was amazing. I, about, I I'm sure <laughs> it was very well put up. We kind of talked about being royal, and I remember yeah. talking about that that verse where it says we're we're a royal priesthood, you know, a holy nation. And I don't know. I just feel like we we've we've kind of forgotten that. That was kind of the the main topic of this discussion. I'll let yeah. you end your final comments. 
Well, I think such a huge component of, of keeping ourselves true to this is having our faith community, whatever way that looks, you know, for you individually, it might be a, a mega church, it might be a small group or somewhere in between. The whole team's got to be on board. You know, I, I, I tell kids this all the time, like Christianity, and I didn't make this up, but Christianity was never meant to be lived in isolation. Like you just can't do it that way, I don't think. Even even the monks of the olden days, right? They they lived in community together. They might have been isolated from greater society, but they lived in close-knit, tight community. Um, I just, I think that's the way it's supposed to work. I think you need other people to help you with this life of repentance, this repentant living, uh, because it's just, it's so hard to do it on your own. It's impossible to do it on your own. You gotta do it with other people. and. And I think that's one way that, that we, the church, have let ourselves down is that maybe we don't hold each other accountable enough um, mm. because it's hard and it's awkward and it's uncomfortable. But, but we, we've, we've made that barrier. We've made it to where yeah. we feel awkward and uncomfortable when we really shouldn't. Yeah, and I think that's another maybe a cowing to culture mm-hmm. issue is is culturally people, especially with this whole uh, postmodern and you know all, all the different words you want to throw in there uh, – you know, the whole relativistic morality and all that. Like, nobody wants to be told, you really need to be living this way. And it's hard to even make the argument that there is a way, right? Moral, relative moral truth and all that. But I, I think I think it's hard to get away from the fact that there might be one if you believe in the things that the Bible teaches. And I think we have often just sort of let that slide. Um, it Maybe not in the way that we preach and teach, but when it comes to you know, our actual personal relationships with each other. Like if you're, if you are a disciple and you're talking with another disciple, how often do we really say to each other in love, Mm. you realize that what you're doing right now is, is contrary to what you believe. Like how often do we do that? We can do it from the stage. We can do it in a small group leader setting. And I realize some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but um, (laughs) it's easier for a leader to do that. But how often do, do the individual Christians in the body support and hold each other accountable to the commitment that we have made to follow the teachings of Jesus. Maybe not enough. Obviously, some people do that wonderfully, but maybe we don't do that enough and we have allowed ourselves to get too soft because it is, to follow Jesus, I think is a hard calling. It can, it's, it's supposed to be the best possible thing for you, but it's hard to do it and you gotta do it together. But a big part of that togetherness is keeping each other in check. And we do not like to have to do that. We just don't. One thing I tell, <laughs> I tell kids that get baptized in our youth group sometimes, um, I tell them, now Now you realize that if you're gonna do this, then you are saying yes to the faith community. And for them, it's mostly their youth group. But mm. you're saying yes, you're saying please help me stay accountable to this. Like I asked him that, are, are you aware of that? Are you aware that you are saying to everybody else here, that's me don't Christian, understand that. help me do this. And if I'm not, get on me about it. And they're kind of like, oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> and, then I, and then I turn it on myself and I say, do, do I even like realize that I'm supposed to be doing that for others and, and receiving it for myself? It's hard, man. It's hard when the culture around you says, you can't tell me what to do. Your way is not in any way necessarily better than my way. But I, I think it's different in the faith. I think because God has given us his plan and his desire for us. And that was debunking the culture. Did we just debunk everything? 
basically. We went a long way from Waco. Well, the, the premise was Waco inspired this podcast. Yeah, I know. We went a long phenomenal, way phenomenal show, by the way. Yeah. I know we, I've we said that. It's very good. We Coca-Cola and Coke Live. Yeah. So the original intent was this podcast was to talk about Coke. <laughs> yeah, everything else was just, uh, just, you just know, flowed. Just thinking out loud. <laughs> just thinking out loud. Mitchell, thank you. Yeah, dude. I'm glad you could come to my, my house and hear my dog bark at you and eat my cake, my birthday cake. You want to talk about the birthday cake? It was really awesome. Strawberry cake is one of the most underrated cakes, I think. It's so under the radar. It's Nobody ever thinks about it. It's very delicious. You know, I think you're right. And yet, I know so many people who, when pressed on it, would say that strawberry cake is their favorite cake. And yet, whoever shows up to birthday parties right, right. from the store... Whoever bakes it. Whoever nor- no, Nobody ever normally bakes... A, like, no, it, it takes a special thought. Like, I'm going to bake this strawberry cake. That's my favorite cake. And so most of my birthday cakes historically have been strawberry cakes. Ask the crowds. Because I make a big deal about it. Ask the crowds to make you a strawberry cake. She's phenomenal at it. Okay. Susan Crow. Susan Crow. Miss you. Mm-hmm. Love strawberry cake. Anyway, this one's <laughs> awesome. Just wanted to shout out to... Do you want to Do you want to plug the brand? Maybe you get some bucks, I don't remember what the brand is. Some cash? It's I in think the refrigerator. It was, it was Frost Bakery, wasn't it? I have no idea. Don't go look that up because it may not be real. Old Testament law that should be implemented today. Go. Oh, gosh. Um, I would probably say... That's a, I wasn't ready to answer that question. There's so many. It was ones. totally a joke. I, I was, was going to say something we like need to go man dominating over you, the life. No. What? Um, the one where you can't sew two pieces of different fabric into the same garment. We should do. We should bring that back. What? Yeah. No way. It's probably one of those ones where you get stoned. So you're telling me 100% cotton? You can't, you... No, like if, if you have this cotton 50, 50? shirt and you wanted to sew a patch of of, um, of of gabardine onto it, then you would be violating the law. Saucy. Is gabardine a, a fabric? I don't know I what you're talking about. Corduroy. I'm not cultured like you are. <laughs> so I think we should bring that back. Center. You can't have two different fabrics sewn into the same garment. There was a like legitimate reason why that made sense, but I don't know what it is. All right, thank you, Mitchell. Yeah, dude. Any good any chat. any closing comments? We have two minutes left. Are we shooting for an hour here? Yeah. We're well, not shooting for an hour, but we can go an hour if you'd like that. Well, now we only have a minute forty-five. Well, we can discuss what should we talk about for the next two minutes until the two minutes is up. I think I'm good, man. All right. Awesome episode. Hey, uh, share this with your friends, especially, you know, we're not calling ourselves expert. I mean, technically Mitchell is kind of an expert. No, no, I am not. Okay, well, I'll call myself an expert. But, you know, uh, this is just an interesting debate that I've been thinking about. And, and, and have we gotten too consumed? Have we gotten too, I guess, molded and shaped by culture instead of God? And, you know, I'm not trying to condemn anybody or, or cast somebody off to hell, you know. It's, it's just... It's been on my radar, and it's something that I struggle with. I'm sure it's something that Mitchell struggles with. Everyone struggles with it is, is who are we implementing? Who are we trying to be like? And when we say Jesus, what does our actual actions say? So thank you, Mitchell Halstead. Yeah, hey, dude. give me a brosive. Friends forever. High five. Cool. Mitchell, uh, you're not on social media. No, but you can uh, 
You can get loser. Get a hold of me. Loser. Social media. Hey, fun fact. I was gonna ask Sean why to do this, but he said he was busy. So I thanks actually, for. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no one's gonna be around that for that. But I hate that guy. Sean, you're the worst. <laughs> just kidding. All right, thanks, guys. Okay. Oh, thank you.